0: Bible has been around, read, adjusted, and interacted with for literally ages. Greg has read it so you don't have to, and now births into the world Better Bible. Before we begin, as you will be listening to a retelling of Bible, please note that trigger warnings are in place for racism, xenophobia, violence, sexual assault, rape, child abuse, incest, animal cruelty, and more. Welcome to A Better Bible. The second of these big ass massive prophets, right? It's Jeremiah time. And Jeremiah was one of the priests of Benjamin, and all this stuff happens in this book, right? During the thirteenth year of the reign of Joshua, King of Judah, which would be a lovely way to get a specific date on this, but yeah, I did just gloss over all the genealogy each time it came about, didn't I? So the genealogy would have been quite useful when they say this story happened during this year's rule of this king. We would have been able to- But Anyway, look, right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't do anything but apologise for that. Right, but this book starts then and goes on to the exile. You know with the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar, everyone's favourite Babylonian king, comes over and takes all of God's people. It's, it's that time period. So we begin, okay? God knew Jeremiah when he was in the womb and he spoke to him, choosing him and telling him what he must do. Now Jeremiah answered God quite correctly, saying that he was just a fetus, not even really alive yet, and consequently unable to assist too much, unable to do much for God at the moment, far too young. God is having none of this and insists that that is hardly an excuse. So God literally places his words into this fetus Jeremiah's mouth. We have a huge time leap, pausing just briefly to see God congratulate Jeremiah for seeing a branch or something, and then next up, right, a more grown-up Jeremiah sees a pot boil over and fall to the north, which indicates that Babylonian, the Northern lion right, they will be a cause of destruction for God's people. Jeremiah must now tell everyone that God's people are going to be fucked because God wants them to be fucked. Jeremiah has to go and preach to God's people, and we begin with a metaphor about a slaggy bride. Leaders rebel, prophets are pricks. God will hard judge. The horror is coming and God's lot have no one to blame but themselves. Usual threats, right? They love stone and wood, like idols. I don't think God has much of an issue with them enjoying basic resources. But they use these resources to make idols and love those. However, the slightest sniff of trouble and they come crawling back to God, proving the worthlessness of those idols. And Egypt will disappoint them because never forget, fuck Egypt. He then starts to talk about divorce, but wait a minute, this isn't about divorce at all. It's another bloody metaphor, basically, right? You wouldn't go back to your wife after you divorce her and she finds someone new. The implication being she's all tainted, but if you divorce your wife and she finds someone new, presumably you shouldn't go back to her because she has this new life and why would you... Fuck with that, silly God. Let your ex-wife be happy! But God just bangs on about how he will take them back, even though he shouldn't. They have to return to him because those other idols will never be right for them in any way. God is bringing disaster from the north. This will be that Babylon and lead to their exile. I've already said this three times, we're four minutes in, and I will say it another 57 times, roughly. We then get a quite sensible question from Jeremiah. Has God lied to them all when he spoke of peace? Turns out that he wasn't lying, it's just peace will come a bit later on. So not a lie. In fact, how can it be God's fault that people assumed he meant peace would happen straight away? God full on hates his people and Jeremiah looks at the earth and it is formless and empty. The whole place will be destroyed. Next, we get some echoes of the Sodom and Gomorrah story, with God saying if Jeremiah can find one pure person in Jerusalem, then the city will be spared. Presumably Jeremiah can't, as heads up, Jerusalem not going to be spared. So the prophecy now leans heavily into the whole fear God thing. These people, God's people, deserve to get got. Deserve to be humiliated and destroyed. They are asking for it really, and I didn't see that God has any choice really. If you forget that he is God and can literally choose to do anything at all, but apart from his infinite power, he is powerless more prophecy of death and destruction, reminding everyone that there's no point going to temple, praying and doing sacrifices and all that if you're just going to be a prick everywhere else. This bit of the book I quite like, to be honest with you. The idea that, like, you can't worship me and be a cunt. You have to choose cunty or godly. I don't know if this can ever be applied to the religious rite of modern day, like choose between being cunty or godly. Don't pretend to worship God whilst simultaneously being a cunt. Basically, if you're a cunt, you are far from God. If you want to be close to God, do not be a cunt. Being a cunt implies being a cunt to any human. Being a cunt implies being cunty about things which are dangerous and put human lives in jeopardy. If you believe in anything, which includes being a cunt to humans, you are a cunt. And God thinks you're a cunt. And God wants cunts dead. You are not with God. You're too busy being a cunt. Anyway, apologies to anyone who dislikes the word cunt. I believe I have said cunt enough times in this short little moment that it's probably lost its cunty power. So anyone who does dislike the word cunt, particularly when cunt is said so closely to the word god, at least you can gain some solace knowing that I am separating cunty and godly. But anyway, where were we? You can't be godly in the sheets and bellend in the streets. You have to be good everywhere, or it counts as being good nowhere. So don't fear the idols, fear God. They are nothing, and God is angry cause you're a cunt. And God will be spunking up his wrath all over the place. Next what follows is ten chapters that are all essentially saying the same thing. They are a series of God, via Jeremiah, telling God's people why they are a prick and why God has abandoned them, albeit temporarily. There are a few twists and turns, but frankly I'm not gonna go into it, as I've already written about a thousand words on the section before the computer on which I'm writing promptly crashed, losing the fucking lot of it. Now maybe this was a sign from God itself That I was going into too much detail when all I really needed to say was this God was proper pissed at his pissing people for being so pissy, so he told them that they were going to get fucked from the north via his wonderful weapon. Babylon, I've said it again, but not to worry, as Babylon will be ruined for this in good time. God is going to raise Babylon against his people, and then because Babylon dared turn against God's people, God will punish Babylon. You see, it makes perfect sense, and it's not the plan of a mentally ill person. Are we all up to speed? Good, right, now let's crack on with the second half of this book. My guess is that it's remarkably similar to the first half. Let's see what we see. Yep, the rest of the book is going to be God telling Jeremiah that Jerusalem and Judah will get fucked up by the Babylonians, that this cannot be avoided, and they can do as they are told by God and live, or they can disobey God and die. Pretty much every remaining one of these 32 chapters is just saying this. Let's go through them, right? God is against Jerusalem. When they find out old Nebuchadnezzar is attacking them, they ask God for help, and he responds with a resounding, no. God points out that if they hadn't been such irritating people, he wouldn't be in this position, but they have brought it upon themselves, and here you go. God will be the most jealous of all gods. Like, you think you've seen God jealous before? You ain't said nothing remotely like this level of jealousy, baby. Uh Who else? Uh Whoa to the shepherds, don't worry, not the actual ones, just metaphorical shepherds. So, the rulers, the leaders, woe to anyone who rules, God will raise a king from David's line to later on save them. Right, this isn't actually a reference to Jesus, but those pesky Christians will use this as a Jesus reference to pretty much undermine this whole book and all of the Hebrew Bible, right? But Jerusalem is going to be like Gomorrah, And all the prophets, apart from Jeremiah and the other prophets in Bible, obviously, they are like Sodom. Do not listen to any prophets ever, ever. Again, apart from um, these these ones. God shows Jeremiah some good figs and some bad figs The exiles, the people who are going to go to Babylon, so long as they go to Babylon and follow God's will, then they'll be fine. They're the good figs. The people who try to run away from the Babylonian invasion and try to save themselves by going to Egypt or something, they're the bad figs, right? Jeremiah points out that he has been speaking to God's people for like 23 years or something, and they haven't listened to one goddamn word so God will summon Babylon to fuck them up. This is it, every single chapter is saying Babylon is gonna be raised against God's people, right? At this point, whilst this is being repeated over and over, we do lose any sense of continuity that may have existed in the book. It jumps from talking about the coming exile to talking about what has happened during the exile. The Babylonian army seem to jump around the map on a chapter by chapter basis. The exile's happened, it's happening, it's currently happening, it's about to happen. The army is in Jerusalem, they're leaving Babylon, they're in Judah, they're in Egypt. It jumps all over the place, right? But let's let's not go through each of these chapters one at a time, it's quite repetitive. I'll sum it all up for you guys, and I will sum it all up, because I love you. Jeremiah keeps telling people exactly what they don't want to hear, and as a result, he is arrested quite a few times, and he's put to death, unsuccessfully, obviously. uh, He's put to death, incidentally, by being thrown inside a cistern, which is a bit muddy. Now, oh well, their justification for this is that they assume Jeremiah must be working for the Babylonians as he keeps insisting that God's people should roll over and let old Nebo and all of his peeps just take over, right? They keep arguing that everything was fine when they worshipped all those other gods and idols. And Jeremiah is saying like, well that's kind of, kind of true, but the, the point is God was slowly getting more and more angry and now all that anger because of you idiots is it's flowing out. And God's people go, well, didn't God talk about peace? And it's like, well, yes and no, just not peace yet. We've been through this earlier, but can we go through it four more times? Of course we can. God will love you but he doesn't currently love you, but he does love you, he just hates you simultaneously, right? Then there's a jump to everything turning to shit and a load of people wanting to bail to Egypt. I mean, it's it's hinted at this earlier, but now we just talk about it directly, right? And Egypt, they're sometimes God's people's friends and they're sometimes God's people's enemies. Well, right now, God is giving a fuck no to that idea, saying that the exiles will be fine and looked after in Babylon. But anyone who runs to Egypt will get God, because after God has sent Babylon to destroy Jerusalem and Judah, he will send Babylon to Egypt to destroy them. And when Babylon have done plenty of God's destructive work, God will send a nation from the north, further north, Persia, I assume, right, to destroy Babylon. We're almost there, right? We, we get a list of places God also intends to destroy, basically, Egypt, anywhere the Philistines are, uh, Moab, uh, destroy all the Ammonites, and finally destroy the Babylonians, right? And the story ends with a summing up. God's people were our souls. The prophecy was made and came true due to this. Famine, destruction, a few thousand taken to exile, but the Babylonians treated them quite well. The end. It's an oddly aggressive one, this book, and as ever, why is it this fucking long? I've summed it up in quarter of an hour for you. The book took about four or five hours to listen to. It's huge when it says two things over and over. Now, well, I'm sure the next prophet book is better. Lamentations, I think it is, so heave ho, here we go, see you later bible fans. Congratulations on listening to this episode of Better Bible. Start a club and share your favorite moments. Tell your loved ones we're here, and we will save you. Greg Bless. That's really stupid. Stupid.